welcome to Elevate, guys. Like, I'm glad you guys are here. Uh, I'm, I'm super excited. Yeah, I'm super excited for tonight. We're continuing our series called um, Now It's Our Turn. And we, it started the week after we got back from Bold. And this series is all about looking at past revivalists from church history, from Bible history, and um, looking at what they did and understanding that it's the same spirit of God that's inside of them, that's inside of us today, and now it's time to say, now it's our turn. So we're super excited for it. Um, you guys can go ahead and turn to where our key verse tonight is going to be. If you got your Bibles, turn to Esther chapter 4. Chapter 4. You guys, some of you guys know which verse I'm going for here. But um, how many of you guys were here last week for when Claire preached? Wasn't that great, you guys? Yeah, I loved what Claire did. Um, she did an amazing job. She had these papers with how to read your Bible, how to have a quiet time, um, and even some sample plans that I believe she just wrote. Like, I think she just wrote up those plans. It looked really uh, simple. But I've got extra papers of what she printed off out in the lobby, so I want to encourage you guys, if you missed it or if you lost your paper, go ahead and grab it. I've been using those papers in my quiet time, and it's been extremely helpful in that. And um, so let's, yeah, turn to Esther chapter 4. And tonight we're actually, we're going to be looking at a revivalist named Charles Finney. Who has heard of Charles Finney before? Not a lot of you guys. Okay, some of you guys have. Charles Finney. So Charles Finney was a revivalist, I believe, during the Second Great Awakening in the 1800s. And he is known for such things. I, I've found a few quotes about him. Here's, here's one of them. It says, emptied of self, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. His sermons were chain lightning, flashing conviction into the hearts of the stoutest skeptics. Simple as a child in his prayers, he sometimes startled his hearers with just his unique childlike prayers. Finney seemed so anointed with the Holy Spirit that people often were brought under conviction of sin just by looking at him. Guys, this guy, this guy had like the Holy Spirit just like permeated inside of him. He was just so full of it that people were getting convicted by the Holy Spirit just by looking at him. It says, when holding meetings in New York, he visited a large factory, and at the sight of him, one of the workers, and then another, and then another, broke down and wept under the conviction of their sins. And finally, so many were sobbing and weeping, weeping that the machinery had to be stopped while Finney pointed them to Christ. That is some Christ-like, just, that is just being Christ-like. That is just being Jesus Christ. And so Charles Finney was a powerful revivalist, and we have the opportunity, we have the privilege to be able to look at that and say it's the same Holy Spirit inside Charles Finney that's inside us today, currently, so now it's our turn. And so I want us to learn a little bit more about who Charles Finney was, so we're going to watch this short clip, so let's, let's check it out. of Charles Finney's life came here to Rochester, New York in September of 1830. In just six short months, this city would be completely transformed. It was a revival so significant that even Finney's harshest critic would call it the greatest work of God and the greatest revival of religion that the world has ever seen in so short a time. 100,000 salvations were recorded during the revival. Imagine that, my friend, 100,000. They came from all social classes, from politicians to businessmen, along with lawyers, teachers, physicians, and farmers. It was a citywide reformation that shut down bars and caused the crime rate to drop dramatically. This event was the spark that ignited revivals that spread across the Northeast and New England during the Second Great Awakening. 
It became the blueprint for future evangelists and revivals throughout the 19th and 20th century. This is a significant stop on the trail of fire. Evangelist Charles Finney came to Rochester, New York in September of 1830 to fill the pulpit of Third Presbyterian Church. The congregation was without a pastor and in danger of disbanding. Originally, Finney and his team declined the invitation, believing that the infighting between three churches in town, the lack of a pastor, and the low moral condition of the city made it a very unpromising field of labor, especially considering the other invitations they had. However, the Holy Spirit challenged him in the night. While he wrestled in prayer, the Spirit said, what are the reasons that deter you from going to Rochester? Finney listed them quickly, but the Spirit of God responded, are these good reasons? Certainly, you are needed in Rochester more because of these. Finney surprised his team that following morning when he informed them that they would be taking the canal boat here to Rochester. This trip, he was joined with his family and his friends, Daniel Nash and Mr. Clary. Finney's strategy for winning a city was simple, prevailing prayer and powerful preaching. In the years prior to Rochester, Finney had perfected his style and become an effective soul winner. Upon arriving into town, Nash and Clary sought out a room for rent to begin a prayer meeting. They shut themselves in that room and began to intercede for the city. Nash and Clary would be rarely seen outside. They remained in that self-imposed cell where they were overcome with the spirit of prayer. They would fast for days, prostrating themselves on the ground, and through weeping and wailing, they made intercession for the city. Finney relied on the power of prayer. Prayer became the foundation of his ministry and the key to his success, a point that we must all learn from. Finney began meeting with influential people in town and setting meeting times. He would preach every night and three times on Sunday in the wood building that had been constructed by Third Church. Revival does not come by accident or happenstance. It may come suddenly, but never accidentally. It's time that we once again begin to prevail in prayer and get back to the preaching of the gospel. These are the two most effective tools that the church employs. They may have taken a back seat in recent decades, and our cities have paid a price as a result. A hurting city is the outcome of a weakened church, but however, they need not hurt any longer. Finney almost missed out on Rochester because he first focused on the problems facing the city. However, what he thought was many reasons not to come were all the reasons to come. I imagine that there's just as many reasons in your city as well. So that is really good stuff. I know some of you guys didn't show up to watch a documentary today, but um, Charles Finney was an incredible, he's an incredible figure in our uh, history. And so again, like I said, what, what God did inside of Charles Finney, he can do inside of us. It's our turn now. Um, he mentioned two other people besides Charles Finney, uh, Father Nash, and uh, I don't remember his first name, but it's Cleary. And they were his prayer warriors. They went before him in every city, and they found a room, they found a closet, they found a building, locked themselves in there, and just nonstop prayed and interceded for the city before Charles Finney came into that city. And they were essential and crucial to the mission that God had for Finney. And I just, I really loved what he said and what Charles Finney did. So he was going into Rochester, New York, and he, well, God called him there, and he didn't, he didn't want to. He listed off the reasons why it wouldn't work. He listed off the reasons it, it, the church was falling apart. There was corruption in the church. You know, it, there, it was too dark. There's too many, uh, there's too much sin going on inside there. And he listed off these reasons of why revival wouldn't be effective in Rochester, New York. And God just combat, combated that and just said, those are the exact reasons why you should be going in there. 
It's all the more why you should be going in there. And we can compare Finney a lot to Esther in the Bible. So um, we're going to look at that story in Esther chapter. Is it Esther or Esther? Esther, right? Okay, that's what I thought. I was like, I feel like I'm saying it wrong. But we're going to turn to Esther chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 10. We're going to put it up on the screen here. It says, uh, then Esther told Hathach, I don't know, that, that name's up for grabs, you guys, Hathach, to go back and relay this message to Mordecai. All the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die. So first of all, let's get some backstory. So um, basically, this guy named Haman, he, um, he did not like the Jews, and he wanted, to cre- he wanted to trick the king. He wanted to convince the king to sign a decree that basically just said, you know, we're going to have to kill all the Jews. Let's just put it, like, just to put it simply, that's what the decree said. And... Um, the king either, the king is about to fall for it, and Esther is obviously worried because she is a Jew herself, and, um, and she's saying that I can't go into the king's court uninvited because the people that go into the king's court uninvited are doomed to die, are put to death because the king does not want to be interrupted that bad. I don't know if you guys, I hate being interrupted too. I don't know if I'd make it that extent, but he does not like to be interrupted, and so we're going to continue the story. And the king has not called me to come to him for 30 days. We'll go to the next slide. Yeah, so Hathach gave Esther's message to Mordecai. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when the Jews are killed. If you keep quiet in a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this? This is a really famous scripture. Who knows if you were put in this position for such a time as this. So the title of my message tonight, if you're taking notes, is Made for Such a Time as This. So when Charles Finney heard from God, he was probably reminded of the story of Esther, of the story of similar story with Jonah and the Ninevites. And he had, he had a bit of hesitance. He had a bit of hesitance in that. I'll bet he wondered, just like we do today, why are we born in this time that we are? I don't know, have you, have you guys ever wondered that? Like, why am I born in this time, in this era, in the 21st century? You know, why couldn't I have been born in a different era? I, I like to play this thought game where it's like, you know, I imagine what it would be like if I was in the 1800s or the 1500s, or even in the future. But why was I born, you know, for me personally, I was born in 1998. I know I'm old. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting there. Not that old, but... I was born in 1998. I always wondered, why am I born in this era? Why, am I, why was I put in this generation? And, like, why, why was I born in the, in the tragedies that I'm facing today, in the struggles that our countries and our schools and our cultures and the world is facing today? Why was I put in this, in racial unrest, in times of sin such as abortion and homosexuality are seen as as good things, in times where you have to almost fight to hold, be a Christian on the internet and on our social lives, in times when nations are raging against nations, in times where there is confusion in our gender identities, and, and even in our specific families. Like, why was I born into my specific family? Why was I born into my specific community? Why was I put into this specific friend group? Why was I put into this friend group when I have a friend that has uh, someone close to them pass, or in a class with a teacher who is struggling with his home life. 
And I believe that we are put in these times for these reasons. That maybe it's not everyone on the list, but we are put in this time for a specific reason. Just like Esther and just like Jonah, just like Charles Finney, we were made and we were born for such a time as this. We're not random combinations of chemicals. We're not just super intelligent animals, but we are children. We are sons. We are daughters of the king. We're sons and daughters of God. We are a spirit with a body. We weren't, we weren't here by coincidence. We weren't randomly put here and then in the next universe randomly put somewhere else. No, we were chosen. We weren't just born. We were made. We were made for a time like this. We were chosen, handpicked for a time as this. You are handpicked for your school in this time. You are handpicked for 2022 with these issues for this time. And we don't have to do this alone. We're, we're, not, we're not put in this time and then left to figure it out on our own, right? We're not put in this time and we're going to be like, all right, figure it out. Use, figure out how to, you know, muster up the courage to do this. Figure out, find your resources. There is a partnership with the Holy Spirit. There is a part we play and there's a part the Holy Spirit plays. And I thank God that the Holy Spirit's part is so much bigger than my part. I thank God that my, all I really got to do is just say yes. And I got to be put in uncomfortable situations. I got to, like I said in, in worship today, I got I to give up my pride. That's hard. <laughs> Giving up your pride is pretty hard to do. It's something I've been working on for years and years, and I'm not, I feel like I'm not even close. But I got to say yes. I got I to obey. I got to be in those moments. And so we were made for such a time as this. We weren't just born for a time as this. We were made for such a time as this. We are here on a mission. I believe we should never go through any part of our Christian life and just go through the motions. You guys know what I'm saying? Like, you, you just wake up, you do it, and you, you go to sleep, and then you wake up, you do it, and you go to sleep, you wake up, all that stuff. I don't think we should ever be going through the motions. Um, uh, my wife and I were talking even just last night that it's like we felt convicted that in some areas of our home life, we were just going through the motions, just in our relationship and in our family, just in our marriage and in our family with, um, with a new baby being around, that it was easy to slide into just going through the motions and not going any deeper in our relationships. But, you know, I don't know if, I know you guys haven't experienced this yet, but babies change a lot of things, okay? Babies change a lot of things in our family. Have any of you guys ever had, like, a baby sibling? Like, you were, you were an older sibling when they're, like, two months old or something. Yeah, okay. So babies change a lot. Babies are weird, okay? Babies are really strange. Um, so sometimes, you know, our, our son, he will wake up, he's, he's three months old, he was three months old yesterday, actually, so on the, almost on the day, he's three months and one day old, but um, our son will sometimes wake up in the middle of the night just like absolutely just screeching and screaming, and he's just like having a hard time, and all he needs is a bottle, like, like I mean, I don't know, I get hungry too, but I don't need to screech about it, but there's other times where he will wake up at like 5.30 in the morning, and he will just be screeching, but it's happy. You guys, you, I don't know if you guys know what I'm saying. He'll be like screeching and just like using his lungs, but he's just content. Like he just, he's just sitting there. Like he's just making noises out of his mouth, just screeching. He's just, he's testing the limits of his lungs just because he can. Like he's practicing, he's testing the limits of his lungs. But imagine you're having a sleepover with some friends and let's say they wake up at 5.30 in the morning and you just hear this, what, 
what are you doing? What are you doing? It's 5.30. I'm testing the limits of my lungs. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm testing the limits of my lungs. And I don't know, babies are weird. Babies change everything, and it's fun. We don't get to sleep in very much, but you know, he's worth it. He's pretty cute, so we'll keep him around, I guess. But when, when a baby, like I said, when a baby comes, it changed our dynamic a lot. You know, we weren't just a, you know, just a independent, fun, married couple. We still are, but like we, we didn't have as, our, our, our amount of freedom shrunk considerably. Let's just say that. Like, we're thinking to try to get in bed at 9 o'clock so we can get up at 5.30 to deal with his screechings. Like, you know, we're not staying up as late as we would like to anymore. And if we do, we pay the price. So babies change a lot. And what we found in these past three months is we started going through the motions, and it became to get stale. Like, we had a natural relationship with each other, but we were losing that spiritual connection that we had with each other. And so we got convicted by that. But we are, we are made to go on an adventure with God. We are made to not just have a natural relationship with our Father, but a spiritual one as well. And a lot of times that means us getting uncomfortable, that means us submitting to his will, and he will equip us and guide us in everything. And so we are put here for such a time as this. And as that phrase was bouncing around my head today, as I was preparing for my message, um, I thought of this clip from probably one of my favorite movies. Um, so a lot of you guys are gonna recognize it, so let's, let's check it out, it helps illustrate my point. All right, I know I pulled a pastor. It's a little cheesy, but it's so good, and I had to show it. But so what are we going to do with the time that we are given? And I think when we look at the Bible, we look at past revivalists, that we need to do more than just learn about them and more than just esteem them highly and more than just memorize their stories and their legacy. But it needs to be we need to have that attitude of it's our turn now, of we're going to do this now. And so what I believe that we should do is as we go into these, um, to these dark, uh, to this dark world, into um, these tough situations, either at our family or at our school or even in our own life, there are two things that we need to bring everywhere we go. And it's this, it's presence and prayer. Presence and prayer. Everywhere we go, we need to bring God's presence and our intercession every place that we go. And so the first thing is presence. In John 1, 5, it says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. I've said this before, but you are the carrier of the light of the world. You are God's chosen vessel. You are, you are the chosen, you, are God, you, you know, just like Proto was the chosen one to carry the ring. You are the chosen one to carry God's light. And so everywhere you walk, you are bringing Jesus into those places. So I want to encourage you, don't stop walking. Don't stop going. Just because it's dark, it's dark because we're not in there. <laughs> it's dark because we haven't entered that room yet. We are carrying God's light. If there's darkness in our schools, then bring the light. If there's darkness in your family, bring the light. If there's darkness in your own life and in, in addiction, bring the light. Bring it out to the light. Bring God's light. Don't stop going. Don't stop going. And so what that can take on different ways. Maybe that looks like starting a prayer club on your campus, or maybe that looks like I'm having a quiet time every single morning before you go to school, get prayed up. And then when you walk, you are carrying God's Holy Spirit with you everywhere you go. So you need to bring God's presence. Another thing you need to bring is your prayers. We need to bring our prayers. The Bible says that the prayers of a righteous person have great power in their working. 
that prayer works. Prayer is important. Prayer is crucial. You know, I talked a little bit about Father Nash, um, who went before Charles Finney in every city. And uh, I found this quote about him. It says, Father Nash lived a life of almost constant and continual intercession. He joined himself with Finney, kept a prayer list, and was no doubt the secret to much of Finney's marvelous success. He didn't preach often, and he didn't go to the meetings very often, but he remained in his room or in the woods, wrestling with God in mighty prayer. People could hear Father Nash praying in the woods or in a church praying, and the sense of God's presence was overwhelming. Overwhelming. Like Father Nash went before. He wasn't on a stage. He wasn't uh, speaking it out. That's because ministry doesn't happen on stage. It happens in the lives of us. It happens in the lives of just people praying, going to school, going to work, driving in their car, talking to their family. That's when real ministry happens. And so to wrap up tonight, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. And um, I want to share something that happened. So Charles Finney, it said he had over 100,000 converts in that city of Rochester, New York. And it happened all because of he said yes. He said, yes, I will do it. And it, the yes was a hesitant yes because he listed off the reasons why he shouldn't. But God said that those are the reasons. Those are all the more reasons why you need to do it. That it's like we have this obligation. Those are all the more reasons why we need to be doing it. And we might have reasons for our family of why revival won't be successful or why uh, conversion won't be successful or discipleship won't be successful. But those reasons, we don't do those. Charles Finney didn't go into Rochester in spite of the reasons. He went in there because of the reasons. There's a big difference there. And just the same with us. We don't go into, those, we don't go into the darkness in spite of the reasons why it's bad but because of them. We go into there because, because there is darkness. So out of Charles Finney's conversions, one of, those, one of those people that got converted was a man by D.L. Moody. And D.L. Moody was another revivalist. And D.L. Moody began to start a new revival, a new revival from his ministry. And out of that came Billy Graham. And a lot of us probably recognize Billy Graham. But Billy Graham had another huge revival after that. Something that came out of the uh, revival of D.L. Moody was a report from 1859. And it says this, it, it happened in Wales. It says one of the most striking characteristics of the movement right before the Welsh revival was the effect it had on young people and even children. The youth of the congregations were nearly all the subjects of deep Holy Spirit impressions. Even very young people from the ages of 10 to 14 years of age started to gather together to hold prayer meetings and pray frequently and passionately outside of the meetings. In many places, the young people held a prayer meeting of their own and, they and, and the prayer meetings began to grow that the ones that they had on their own. And they even proved to be instrumental in bringing powerful influences of the Welsh revival that would happen 20, 30, 40 years later. 10 to 14 year olds. That's crazy. They, 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 weren't in, they weren't brought on by an adult. Like a lot of you guys went to Bold and you saw those late nights at Bold that was just, you know, 12 to 18 year olds in those rooms. But 10 to 14 year olds in the 1800s helped break instrumental into the revival of the, the Welsh revival in the early 1900s. That is crazy. 
that was that was before social media, before the internet, before phones, that they were able to do that and able to help be a part of something that saved hundreds, if not millions of thousands of people. And that is insane. So I want to encourage us that it's the same God that's inside of them, that's inside of us. It's the same passion, the same spirit. So let's all stand up tonight. And I just want to speak that over us and speak the boldness and the courage to do that. So Father God, I just thank you for every person here. I thank you for putting your presence on us. I thank you for putting your presence on us. Some of us may even need to write holy ground at the bottom of our shoes because that's everywhere we walk is holy ground. God, we bring your light and we bring you, we bring your grace, your forgiveness. How would they know if no one's going to know? God, we just ask for boldness, for courage to go into every area of our lives, if that's either in person, in our schools, in our families, in our churches, in our bedrooms in our closets, or if it's online, on social media, on any like online interaction that we have, that we bring your presence, God. We just thank you for the amazing and immense honor that is. God, we just praise you for that, and we just speak boldness over our prayers, that we won't pray shallow prayers, we won't pray weak prayers, but we will pray dangerous prayers, and we will pray bold prayers, prayers of intercession, prayers that speak out against the enemy towards our friends, that we break the bonds, we break chains, God, and we just speak those bold prayers over us, God. We just thank you for your love. We thank you for your forgiveness and your grace tonight.
stop thinking how much of an honor it is that we get to bless God. We get to give God. We get to give God this gift of obedience, of joy, of happiness, of peace. Father God, I just thank you that we get the opportunity to just bless you and just give you blessings. It's just, it's so real, it's so personal and intimate of the relationship that you have with us. That it's not one-sided in either direction, but it is a two-way street of your love and of our, of our gifts of blessings and our choices using her free will on you, God. So, Father, we just, we just, I just speak a blessing over us tonight that you just fill us up throughout the week, that we can be people of presence and prayer, that we can be people of your passion and your love everywhere we go in everything that we say, God. We just speak that over us, and we just proclaim your love in everywhere we go. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Let's give God a shout of praise. Yeah. Awesome. Man, well, I'm excited, you guys. It's God's good. Revival is real, and it's here. And I just want to invite you guys, Tuesday night, this Tuesday night, in this building, 7 o'clock, we're going to have an amazing time of worship and prayer. And uh, we also have uh, tribes next week as well. So we've got uh, Tuesday's prayer, Wednesday's elevate, and Thursday's tribes. Man, guys, I don't know about you, but how awesome is it to just fill up your week with church and with prayer and worship? I don't know if that excites you guys, but it excites me. So, um, yeah, I, I really hope to see all of you guys there. You guys are dismissed. I'll see you guys on Tuesday.